Hello guys, and welcome to episode 23 of the Low Key Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Justin's. Justin's creates a nut butter that's organic, rich, and creamy with flavors like honey, hazelnut, vanilla, and chocolate. If you have a sweet tooth, try their peanut butter cups, which come in white chocolate and dark chocolate. So check out Justin's and get a tasty treat. And now with further ado, Dead Armadillo Brewery with Todd. It's nice. It's easy. It's low-key. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Low Key. I'm here with Todd, from, an owner of Dead Armadillo. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you did. I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what Dead Armadillo is, and uh, why did you name it Dead Armadillo? Yeah, so that story actually predates my employment, so it's really my my boss's story to tell, but I'll take a crack at it because he's cool with that. Um, so Tony Peck, um, one of our co-founders, um, was in the process of cleaning out a shed in Kansas where he's from um, on his mom's property. And he had been like in talks with the other partners at the time for trying to name the brewery. And they had a, a sheet of paper, like college-ruled paper, front and back full of prospective names. And nobody could really decide on which one was the one to go with. Yeah. Um, and whenever they were cleaning out that shed, they found a dead armadillo, like perfectly preserved between two pieces of lumber, like flattened <laughs> and like the skeleton was totally just like our brand, like the image. That's exactly what they found. That's funny. And he kind of joked, you know, joked at the time, wouldn't it be funny if? And then three months later, it was the name on our TTV license. So uh, <laughs> just kind of serendipitous, you know, like is one of those silly things that you think there's no way that we'll ever call a brewery that. That's crazy. And then yeah. Here we are, like four years later. Yeah, I, armadillo. I, I was I was thinking about like because we have a lot of roadkill. Yeah, in Oklahoma, oh, so I was sure. like, that's that's so catchy. Like yeah. that makes sense, you know. Well, I live in Owasso, and so I drive past dead armadillos like on a routine basis just to come to work. I just usually take it as a good omen, right? Like it's gonna yeah. be a good day if I pass the brand on the way to work. <laughs> so that's funny. So can you can you tell us what the journey is from from starting of um, the brewery? to creating of Dead Armadillo? Yeah, so, um, I mean, our history is not really all that dissimilar from a lot of folks that you'll talk to that are, are you know, are in this business. Uh, we started out, uh, we in the corporate sense, I mean, I wasn't involved at the time, but we as a company started out as home brewers, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I think the guys that were involved with the project then who really started the whole thing um, knew that it was a really cool hobby and were really invested in it and loved doing it. And it was like that Saturday ritual that, you know, Saturday's brew day. Yeah. And it was kind of an escape from the, their normal everyday jobs uh, and routines. And, of course, I mean, it's like the best part of making beer is getting to drink beer, right? So yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a fun hobby. It's got a cool factor for sure. You know, but some people kind of get get it in their system and, you know, get the bug and want to wanna do it full time and... Uh, you know, we were, I guess, just crazy enough at that time to want to get into get into brewing, especially, at the, you know, it's a little different now than it was then, but it was 
really hard to break in and the rules were really stringent. Mm-hmm. And luckily, you know, things have gotten a lot better in Oklahoma since then. But yeah, I mean, it was just a couple of guys with a dream to quit their day jobs and brew for a living because it's an awesome job. Yeah. Beer, brewing beer would be fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely not as glamorous as, you know, some people might think it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a filthy job. I mean, luckily this isn't smell-o-vision because I'm covered in yeast. And it's, I mean, it's a dirty, filthy, hard, sweaty job. But uh, but it's really gratifying, and it's the coolest thing I've ever done. And I've done some pretty cool stuff. So Awesome. I dig it, man. I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah. Can you can you tell us what's unique about your beer? Why is it relevant? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing that's cool about what we're doing is that we, we've always wanted to, to make beer that we like. Um, I think as long as you can kind of stay in touch with what it is that keeps you passionate and driven about what you do, you just really hope that other people connect with it the way that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're not really like changing the world style-wise with what we make. I mean, a lot of what we do is really straightforward, um, but we make hoppy beers that are still, you know, low enough in alcohol and mm-hmm. straightforward enough in design that they're pretty aggressively hopped, but at the same time, too, are, are, are palatable and, you know, can be can be interesting to a, a wide audience of people. And we feel like they're really well made. Uh, I, I've always been a big proponent of the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and we, <laughs> we really try to, to, to use that methodology on a routine basis. I mean, how can we make this process better or more simple, and how can we make the, the product itself simpler in format, but still taste really good and really interesting? Hmm. You know, and we're, we're on one of three breweries, I mean, it's going to be more than three here pretty soon, Yeah, that's producing beer in the Tulsa area, so it's, it's kind of a small club right now, but, you know, thankfully that's changing, and the club is expanding by leaps and bounds, which we're all about. We think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll really excited about the kind of brewing culture and community that's really growing in our area, especially kind of in the Pearl District. And I mean, it really seems like everybody's popping up with, within really close distance to us and, and yeah. Marshall, everybody's kind of in this, in this area. So, um, you know, it's cool cause we, we get to produce a product that's not mass made and, you know, is made with care by guys who live here and pay mortgages here. And it's, it's a it's a personal experience for us, and they get to come see us at the brewery and 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 drink our product and get to talk to us about it. And we get to do stuff like this, you know, talking about our brand and talking about what we do. So it's a blast, man. Yeah, it's, it it is really exciting that like Oklahoma is getting more breweries and building up like more microbreweries, which is a really cool thing to see. Which why like I'm excited about like yeah. you guys and other places. Um, what was the first beer you had that made you realize craft? craft beer was going to be a bigger part of your life uh like me personally how did I know like that moment yeah oh man that's tough um so I've always been a real craft beer lover craft beer nerd for lack of a better term um I mean Tony and I kind of really got started in a similar way uh you know I, I think you're at a you know a young drinking age as an adult you you're always exposed to the big beers first you know the your macro lagers and uh, Bud Miller Coors products, um, and I think the first thing that I kind of got introduced to outside of that was Boulevard Wheat, mm. uh, and they were, you know, at that time, I mean, that was years ago, I'm not old by any stretch, but it, it's, tastes have changed a lot since then, yeah. um, that was kind of the first thing that I had that was like, wow, this is really different, you know, it's got a lot of flavor, but it's not, 
Uh, it's not heavy, but you know, it's not too expensive either. It kind of like satisfied all those things about being different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, fast, you know, fast forward three, four, or five years, um, and you start getting into you know more interesting to you. Uh, flavor profiles. You know, I knew for for me, like personally, whenever I started drinking a really hoppy beer, that I had totally been like bit by the bug. You know, that I was always going to be chasing yeah. new styles and was always going to be really invested in this process. Uh, and really, like in on my personal history, like I just got lucky and ended up being the right guy for the job at the right time. I and mean, it was just kind of a serendipitous thing. So, <laughs> uh, just yeah, definitely wasn't like by design. If you would ask me ten years ago hey, what do you think you're going to be doing in 10 years when you turn 30? And if you told me I'm working at a brewery, I would have told you you're crazy. Yeah, but I, hope, I hope that's my story at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard people my entire life say that, like, yeah, that's crazy. You know, I'm, I wonder what that's like, and now I'm living it. It's just it's, every day's a rodeo, man. It's, yeah. cra- it's a crazy life, but it's fun. Is, is working at a brewery different than what you thought it would be? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I tried to come into this job not having – a whole lot of preconceived notions about what it would be or what it would look like. Um, but even then, like what little I did walk into the job expectation wise, it really wasn't even anything like that. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's such a, such a learning curve trying to get into this business. And I'll, you know, I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. <laughs> like we, mm-hmm. we really rely on a lot of the people in the brewing community um, for help. I mean, especially getting started and we got started contract brewing with Rough Tail in Midwest City, and the guys over there, I mean, Tony Tielli, their brewmaster, I'd, I'm sure he's really glad I don't call him as much as I used to, but, uh, I mean, there's definitely been times where you just got to pick up the phone and make the call because you have no idea what's happening. And Luckily, that happens less and less now than it used to, but, yeah, I mean, it's all that to say, like, the job is fast-paced, and basically, we just solve problems and put out fires all day long because uh, there's always going to be some... Something keeping you from getting where you need to be with whatever it is you're doing that day, whether it's like rewiring something and playing an electrician or doing plumbing stuff or well, talking about recipe design. I mean, it's 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 basically beer engineering. You know, it's food sciences in action, and it's all happening all the time. And it's just you're just trying to go with the flow and try to be of some use to the people around you while it's happening. So, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, man, it's nuts. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest problem you run into in producing beer? Uh, I mean, I think we are really lucky to to have a problem that first and foremost is not being able to make enough of our product. You know, okay, being being in demand is the best problem in the world to have. Uh, that being said, it's still a problem. I mean, I, I think for us. Uh, this phase of our company and kind of where we are right now, um, identity-wise, is we're just trying to figure out how to grow as quickly as we possibly can without sacrificing any of the things that make us who we are, right? I mean, it's always that delicate balance. If you want to get big and you want to be successful and you want to, hmm. you know, deliver beer to all these people that really want it, but at the same time, too, you know, as individuals and professionals, um, we're, we're just learning as we go. So you don't want to go too fast, yeah, because uh, you can definitely make too many mistakes too quickly and, and things can get really out of control. But yeah, I mean, it really for us, it's all about how to grow and still stay true to who we are, hmm. which sometimes is easy and sometimes is really hard. Yeah. Saying that you've made a lot of product, how much 
how much okay. you typically make. Yeah, for sure. So um, we just got all of our numbers crunched for last year, um, and we did uh, a, about a thousand barrels in 2016. Um, so for reference, I mean the craft brewers in Oklahoma. I won't name any names because um, I'm not sure how how privy people are to these numbers and whether or not I'm supposed to be, but. Uh, you know, a, a, an average brewer who is distributed just in the state of Oklahoma is going to be producing between two and 3,000 on average. Wow. And brewers in Oklahoma who are delivering product to other states around us are brewing between four and 8,000. Um, so we're still very, very small. Um, I mean, we're a quarter of the size of a brewery who's been around maybe three or four years longer than us. Wow. That is crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> what is what is your favorite style to brew and why oh man uh easy choice for me i love ipas uh, and by extension pale ales because ipas are basically just pale ale recipes turned up to 11 um so i like lighter body lighter in color um i, I love having that that structure and malt backbone that you get the the you know the perception of sweetness and body and texture, and then I want the thing that happens right after that to be just straight to the top, full hop flavors, you know, a lot of hop complexity, very dry finish, um, medium to high carbonation. Um, and that, I mean, that's really where my stylistic preferences lie, and luckily the guys that I work with really like those styles too, so we're all kind of in, you know, in alignment with, with that. I mean, there's obviously styles I like outside of that, but yeah, pale ales and IPAs really, that's home base for me. That's where I feel the most comfortable. Yeah, I really like those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you probably like a lot of our beers. Yeah. <laughs> which which um, other brewery has inspired you to um, be in the brew industry and why? Yeah, I mean, I know I already mentioned and kind of bragged on uh, the guys over at Rough Tail, um, but, you know, Tony and Matt and Blaine, uh, I'm such a huge fan of what they're producing. Uh, I mean, if you went to my fridge right now at my house, you'd see obviously a lot of our product, um, but you'd also see Hoptometrist, you'd see their IPA. I love their pale ale. I just, I could drink that beer every day and be happy with it. Um, you know, and, and I know those guys personally, and obviously that that is a big bonus too, because not only do they make great beer, but they're cool dudes and mm -hmm. fun to work with and very gracious with their time and knowledge. So. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say Rough Tail has been a huge inspiration. And I think, like, in a, in a general sense, too, like, Coop has done a ton um, to legitimize the establishment of commercial brewing in the state of Oklahoma. I mean, they, yeah. were, they were really first to market in a lot of ways um, with the kind of, kind of style-wise beer that I like. I mean, F5 is obviously just a game changer. I mean, they sell a ton of that beer, and for good reason, because F5 is awesome. I love that beer, too. Yeah, that's a really good beer. Yeah, and, you know, I think, I don't want to misquote this, because I'm not sure exactly, but I think they've been around for, like, eight or nine years now, and they've, mm -hmm. you know, moved facilities once and are just growing like crazy and expanding, and, you know, they're, on a bigger scale, they're, they're still dealing with the same problems we are at 1,000 barrels a year, and they're probably, like, in the eight to 10,000, and they're still having the same problems, right? Yeah. How do we grow and keep our identity? So it's, we're just really kind of living in a miniaturized version of what a lot of those guys are still going through, too. And I, don't, I think probably that doesn't ever change. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Prairie has definitely brought a lot of positive attention to specifically the Tulsa brewing and beer scene. Um, so those guys, you know, I, I travel and 
Celebration in the background. Yeah, tap room's having a good night tonight. Um, <laughs> love that. Uh, so that you know, Prairie has brought a lot of positive attention specifically to brewing beer in Tulsa. Um, and you know, I, I travel a lot and go to breweries because I mean, I'm a workaholic. I love to be at a brewery if I'm not working at a brewery. And uh, you know, people ask me where I'm from, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I help run a brewery in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they're like, oh, you know the Prairie guys? Like, and I can go anywhere in the world, and people know who Prairie is. So yeah. it's cool that I'm not trying to like have to explain who we are and where we come from because Prairie already did that. So, mm. so that's cool for them too. I mean, it's it's definitely been a, a joint effort on everybody's part. But yeah, there's there's a lot of really good people, good hardworking, knowledgeable people making beer in Oklahoma, which is it's kind of cool to be to be a part of the club in some sense. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you know what kind of hops you guys use? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, so we're, uh, like I said, the keep it simple, stupid thing. I mean, um, we use a lot of Cascade. Um, So Cascade is a low bitterness hop. Um, It's not very aggressive in its flavor profile. It's super floral. It's got that really kind of piney, citrusy, like fresh lemon peel kind of thing going on. Um, and we use that in our amber, we use it in our IPA, we use it in our pale ale. Uh, I mean, it's in basically everything. It's a very, very flexible utilitarian hop. You can use it for a lot of different purposes. It's kind of a chameleon in that sense. It does a lot of things really well. Um, you know, for, for bittering, for our IPA, we use Nugget, which is a very, like, super, super bitter, very earthy, very kind of, like, grounding um, bitterness. Um which is, which is good to kind of get the ball rolling on getting a really high IBU or International Bitterant Union. It's like the, the way to quantify in numbers how bitter a beer is. Wow. It's really good to get like that early boost so you can get a really high profile of hop complexity. Nugget does that for sure. We use a lot of Columbus. I'm a huge fan of Columbus. Um, again, it's that really citrus-forward, piney, resinous kids these days call it dank <laughs> columbus <laughs> is like the embodiment of dank to me um and then we, we've definitely been playing around with a lot of stuff too uh, i mean we're working on a really cool new recipe we're, we're hoping to go to market here in the next couple of months on a double ipa well um that we have had in the works for many many months and has gone through a lot of revisions and it's something that we're taking super seriously because you know every new recipe you're working on is your legacy and it's going to be your baby and you're thinking about it in that way but I mean, if we're right about this one, and, and I feel like we are, I think this is, people know us as the amber people, you know, the guys that make the amber beer. Um, but I'm really hoping that this is one of those that kind of becomes, you know, the lexicon for how people talk about us. Like, oh, those are those guys that make that double IPA. And it uses um, Simcoe as its bittering hop. And then we use um, a, a Southern Hemisphere New Zealand hop called Pacific Jade that's like pure pineapple and mango and super juicy and really tropical. Uh, and then it finishes with Comet, which was actually a hop that's like seeing a lot of resurgence in popularity. And, and Comet's cool because it smells and tastes like pure grapefruit. Wow. Like the rind or pith of a grapefruit, like a ruby red. It's that bitter, citrus, kind of earthy, pungent. Uh, yeah. And that's, its, that's what it finishes with and what it dry hops with. So it's tropical, fruity, uh, you know, almost eight and a half percent, super light bodied. I um, mean, it looks like a pale ale. If, you, if you're not close enough to smell it, you wouldn't know that it's crazy hoppy. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of an experimental thing we've been working on. And we've got a new test batch of that that's going to hit the tap room here in a couple of weeks. And I'm super pumped to see what people think about that. Cause yeah. 
I love it. We've been working really hard on it. So yeah. I can't wait until that comes out. Yeah, I man. Try. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be all over social media. Yeah. So yeah, you'll, everybody will know about that one for sure. Hopefully, hopefully we get the word out. So That's we don't even cool. have a name for it yet. We've got some concept stuff, and our graphic artist is working on uh, you know some artwork. Um, so can't really say too much about that yet, but we've got we got big plans for that beer. So that sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. Speaking of beer, yeah, um, tell us about like all your beers and describe in yeah, detail what, for sure. what they are. Um, so right now we have three year-round beers, and um, this month we're actually going live and uh, going to market with uh, our fourth year-round beer. So we'll have you know, you know a small portfolio of beers that are available all the time on draft and in cans. Um, first and foremost, the one that people know us for the most is our Amber Ale. Um, so it's actually the recipe that we that really got us started. I mean, when we were contract brewing way back when, we didn't have five beers that we made. When you're contract brewing, it's like, hey, we got this one idea, and we think it'll be really good, and we're going to take a big risk financially to pay someone to brew it for us, and we just hope it works out. Mm-hmm. Well, that was Amber for us, and it was a huge success. And to this day, we sell five times more of it on average than we do of any other beer that we make. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's 6.3% alcohol. Um, it's got this really nice dark copper color. I mean, it's definitely in the, the red range. Okay. Um, so it's got that really beautiful, you know, amber color to it. It's made with um, crystal malt. So it's mm. uh, malt that's been uh, roasted in a kiln, it's just like toasting bread. When, you, when that toasting action, that Maillard reaction is what brings out um, all those roasty, toasty, caramel sweetness flavors. So that's where it gets its color and its caramel sweetness. And then we, uh, you know, for style, it's pretty hoppy for style. Most ambers aren't very hoppy at all. They're kind of in the 15 to 20 IBU range, and we're at 40, uh, which is, like, pretty much maximum for style for us to be able to call it an amber. It's, like, all the way up there, turned up to 11 on the hops. We use Columbus and Cascade, which gives us a lot of that citrus um, and pine, which kind of brings that sweetness back into balance. Um, so amber, all that to say, amber is all about balance, right? Um, yeah. It's sweet, but it's dry. It's hoppy, but it's still smooth and drinkable. Um, mm. It's got high carbonation, but it still goes down easy. Uh, and it's got really good body and alcohol, but uh, you know, you're know you not going to fall down and feel stupid after drinking a couple of them. So it really just kind of is super well-rounded and, yeah. and appeals to a lot of people. So that's the one that pays our bills. I mean, first and foremost, that we're, we're in business because we make that beer, and if we ever stop making that beer, we probably won't be in business anymore. Uh, and then right after that is our IPA. It's called Nine Band. It's called Nine Band because there are nine bands on the back of an armadillo. Nice. Um, so it's, you know, form <laughs> and function. Uh, and that particular beer, at the time it was named, it had nine hop additions um, during uh, its whole life cycle from production. It's actually more than that now, but we're not going to change it to 11 bands because that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, so it, it gets a lot of hops at a, you know a lot of different points in its in its process, and it's uh, it's a little over. It's marked on the can as 90 IBUs. That's kind of crept up over time. You know we're 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 pushing 100 at this point. Um, super earthy, tons of citrus, very very bitter. I mean, it's it's up there with the, the limit of what's enjoyable for a lot of folks uh, on bitterness, but still has a great malt backbone. It's very complex, has a lot of texture and a lot, you know, a lot going on. So it's not just just pure bitterness. It's, yeah. Hopefully we've kind of fleshed that out and made it, made it a, co- you know, a cogent idea of what an IPA should be. I, I love that beer. 
Uh, and then there's Breakaway APA. So APA just stands for American Pale Ale. Uh, we call it Breakaway APA because it rhymes. It's a little catchier that way. Um, so Breakaway is a pale ale that is, um, you know, it's it's pretty hoppy as well. It's a you know about 40 to 45 IBUs, um, which is again kind of the upper limit for what a pale ale can be. So I'm sure you guys are seeing a trend here that every <laughs> style that we make is as hoppy as you can make it and still call it that thing. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about the pale ale to me, and the pale is really close to my heart because that recipe was still being developed when I came onto the company. So I actually got to have a, kind of a role in that one. So mm-hmm. I, I really like personally identify with that recipe. And to this day, like it's probably my favorite to just grab a can and drink that if you put all of them in front of me. Um, and it's it's cool because it's uh, some jets flying tonight. Dang, you guys can hear that, but yeah. those guys are having fun. Um, <laughs> so it's it's made with oats. So like the same kind of oats you would make in the morning for breakfast. We actually throw those in the mash tun. Wow. Um, and the cool part about that is that it oats don't have any fermentable sugar, so they don't uh, they don't give you any boost in alcohol. But what they do is those proteins, since they don't turn into alcohol they stay in the beer all the way throughout the processing so like whenever I pour you a glass of it that protein content is still really high um so you know it's it's good for gains for all you weightlifters out there <laughs> that's not true don't do that. um but the cool thing is, is that it gives it a ton of texture and weight and complexity because we've always felt that pale ales by design have always to me they always come across a little thin you know they're just they're, they're kind of dainty in that sense that most pale ales um, are really light in body and really just focus on hops. And we wanted mm-hmm. to have more body and more texture and more mouthfeel and really just kind of wanted to turn that up because, uh, again, we were going to hit it with as many hops as we could and still call it a pale ale. Yeah. So that's kind of where that one comes from. And it's it's all Cascades and Columbus. Um, that's really cool. So it's, again, super citrus, um, piney, resiny, um, and still light enough to really enjoy. I mean, it's not thick or overbearing, but it's it's got texture and weight and still manages to be big without being too big. Uh, and then the fourth beer that we just added this month that's going to go to market, you'll be able to find it in, in liquor stores um, starting in the first week of February, is the Inland Porter. Okay. Um, so it's a very straightforward porter recipe that we collaborated with on uh, with the Hanson Brothers. Um, so they were, you know, hand in hand here with us, helping us design the recipe and brewed it with us. And we, we, we kind of co-released it um, with their branding, as well as ours. And you know, did a bunch of release parties and got to hang out with the Hanson Brothers. Oh, of course, and that's fun. Yeah, that's cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, hanging out with rock stars, making beer for them. It's it's a rough life, right? Um, <laughs> so that one has actually done so well in the market that uh, we actually had a recipe for something else that we had always kind of envisioned being our fourth. Um, and this one, you know, this Inland Porter did so well that we we're like, you know, it would be dumb to bring a new market to a new recipe to market when we've got one right here that's doing really well that we could make more of, and I think people really love. So we kind of changed course at the last minute and decided to take that one year-round rather than just in special release. And uh, we've got it in the tap room on draft right now. It's the only place to get it. But here pretty soon it'll be at all your favorite places. And if they don't have it, ask them for it. And they'll hopefully they'll bring it in for you. So Cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it, style-wise, it's, uh, it's very much just a straightforward, robust porter. Um, tons of chocolate, toffee, caramel. I mean, it's a dark almost like jet black beer. Uh, cool thing about porters and that separates them from stouts is that porters to me when they're well designed they have all the same flavor as a good stout 
but they don't have the weight, right? So mm. I can have two or three porters and get all the same kind of flavor experiences for the most part, but not feel like I just had three yeah. full meals, you know? So it's uh, you can have more of it and really enjoy it and not feel super full, and it still delivers on all those flavors that you'd want from a dark beer. Hmm. I'll have to try that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about yeah. that one being in cans because we released it in Bombers previously, and people responded really well to it, but... You know, I mean, it's hard to take bombers to the lake because you can't take glass. I mean, bombers have their limitations on on where you can take them and how you can drink them. And it's two beers in one glass, and you, are you going to share it or are you going to commit to drinking the whole thing? Removing all of that forethought, you know, by just putting it in a 16-ounce can and putting it in liquor stores and saying, hey, take it and put it in your fridge and drink it when you want to. So mm. way, way more convenient, hopefully. That would be more convenient, yeah. yeah. Um, what would be your advice to somebody that wants to create a microbrewery? Uh, yeah, I mean, I hear, so this is a question we get a lot. So um, I think first and foremost, I, you know, I would suggest that you have a really good plan. Um, I know that it's really hard to have a, even when you spend a lot of time and, you know, investing in your business plan and, uh, you know, the financials of it and, and finding the right spot or building your own spot if you're, uh, you know, financially blessed in that way. Uh, you can spend all this time doing all that and things still don't work out the way you expect them to. Because um, it's one of those things that it's the paradox of knowledge. Like, you, there's no way to know what it's like until you know what it's like. Uh, yeah. it's, and it's also different for everybody in, in some ways. And even now, like, my information is a little outdated because the rules have changed so much since... Uh, you know, since we went through the process that it's actually, my advice probably wouldn't be all that good or maybe maybe even applicable for folks who are trying to get into it now. But I think in a general sense, have a good plan um, and have people around you that you really trust um, as much as anybody can trust another person. Maybe they're not family, but um, as close as you can be to people uh, and make sure that you're really aligned with them in how you feel about things. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be the same exact person because you need a little bit of difference to make things interesting. But yeah, uh, I think make good choices with who you you know surround yourself with because these are multi-million-dollar investments, and it's this is not something that you can get into without it being um, a lifestyle change, uh, something that totally changes the. I mean, it changed the course of my life professionally and personally for sure. So, I mean, the stakes are pretty high. So. You know, getting in with the right people um, and surrounding yourself with people that are really going to help you get there, I think, is probably the most important thing. I mean, picking good friends is something they teach us as kids, and I think getting into the brewing industry is probably a, a huge lesson in that, too. But, uh, and it, you know, outside of that, I think you can have all the money in the world, and you can have the best friends and the smartest business people around you, and like have the best strategy, and know your market and just be like totally nailed down um, everywhere that it matters. And if you don't have two or three just absolutely killer dialed in recipes, none of that matters. Yeah. Um, you just, you, you have to have those, those hours spent in developing what it is that you're going to take to market. Cause if, even if you feel 100% about what you're doing, there's still a lot of risk in that as well. But if you don't feel 100% about the product you want to take out there, I mean, wait until you do before you spend your money or anybody else's trying to make that dream come true because it's already risky enough, but beer's got to be awesome. I mean, these days, especially, you know, in the Tulsa area and Oklahoma at large and even beyond that, and you know, in the U.S., 
craft drink, uh, craft beer culture is kind of at an all-time high, and it's still growing. I mean, every day is at an all-time high, it seems like. Yeah. People are more discerning than they've ever been before. Um, you know, they want quality to get better every day, and so, you know, we're kind of reaching that point where beer can only get so much better unless you're really innovating and doing cool new stuff and just staying driven and testing recipes constantly, which is really a challenge for us now. Mm. I mean, as a commercial brewer, you got to have a ton of stuff in the pipeline all the time because one out of 10 ideas is actually going to make it, you know? Yeah. So how do you keep 10 ideas going at the same time while also trying to make enough beer for a market? It's a huge challenge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, having some killer recipes, I think, is is definitely one of those things that you have to have. You can you can have everything else, but if you don't have awesome beer, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's scary, you know? Yeah. Because like anything else, I mean, especially anything that's associated with artisanship or art in any facet at all, I mean, it's a deeply personal thing. Um, so, of course, everybody's going to approach spending millions of dollars to start a brewery as, as a personal thing and that the recipe is going to be their baby and their child and this is what they're trying to develop. And and it's it's terrifying to think of the fact that, you know, people can feel with conviction about beer and know that it's the best thing they've ever made and then it does, still doesn't succeed. Like, that's... That's scary, you know? Yeah. So having a lot of intestinal fortitude is definitely up there, too. I mean, there's definitely been some times in our history as, you know, short history as a, as a brewery and as a company that, you know, we've thought, hey, man, maybe this, maybe this thing's not going to work out, right? Like, yeah. we need to catch a break financially or otherwise, you know, um, things are really tough right now or really tight or whatever. I mean, everybody goes through growing pains. And, and luckily, we were able to kind of, you know, trust each other and forge ahead and just sometimes just be optimistic is all you got. So hmm. being able to kind of get through those tough times and hopefully, you know, if you're going to get in this business, you've been tested doing other things. I definitely would not suggest getting into the brewing business at 18 years old and being the sole responsible person because, like, the amount of responsibility and knowledge is, like, not that it can't be done because there's definitely some folks out there who have done it, but I would definitely suggest going out there and getting some experience in other industries or at least, you know, if you're going to start young, start at the bottom. You yeah, know, clean kegs and wash tanks and all the stuff that I still do, like on a daily <laughs> basis. I, w I don't ask any of our employees to do anything that I don't do on a regular basis anyway, because we're a small crew. So start small. Okay, you heard it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> start small, but be ambitious. Like yeah. you know, it's cool to want everything, but I think it's definitely tempting. I mean, I'm a millennial, right? I mean, I was born in the on-demand generation and we definitely want it and we want it now and we want to be hyper successful and you want to be that guy that's just blowing the industry up but um, yeah. it's hard to be patient I think this industry demands patience and we get I get served humble pie and taught that on a regular basis about what it means to be patient about what we do because hmm. you know it's, it's easy to lose track of that sometimes when you're just kind of in the rhythm of working like a dog and making making beer so Wow. Yeah, that is true. Well, what are some ways people can check you guys out mm -hmm. or um, see what you're doing and seeing where you're at? Yeah, so if you're in the Tulsa area, you know, you're within 30 miles of us, um, I think the absolute best way to, to come check us out is really, like, to physically come check us out. Um, we have a tap room that's open on Thursday nights from 4 to 9 p.m., and Friday and Saturday nights from 2 to 9 p.m. Um, and we serve all of our year-round beers, the four that I mentioned, um, plus uh, half a dozen other beers that you can't get anywhere else. 
uh, in our tap room, and so you get to kind of come hang out with us. Maybe not me in particular, because I try not to work on Friday nights, because, you know, I like to be home with my wife, but, um, you know, get a tour and come put your eyeballs on our facility and see how the sausage is made, so to speak. Like, we don't, we definitely don't hide any, we we love to be out in the open and and show people what we do, because we're really proud of it. Uh, you know, beyond that, if you're not from around here, so to speak, and don't live close to us, um, you know, go to your your closest bar that you know is, um, you know, into craft beer and serves craft beer, and hopefully you can catch us at an event there. Um, and if there's a place that you love to support that you haven't seen us at, uh, haven't seen our beer there, hit us up on Facebook, and we'd love to plan something, do a mm-hmm. tap takeover or a pint night or, you know, mm-hmm. just come to your town and hang out with you if, if it's at all feasible for us to do that. So we're definitely open to that idea. I mean, like I mentioned, Facebook, social media is a good place to check us out. Our Facebook page is going crazy. We post stuff all the time and try to be really involved. We're on Twitter and Instagram. So, you know, the social media world is a good place to interface with us if you're if you're into that sort of thing. The baby boomers are listening to this like, y'all are crazy. I don't want to be on Instagram. But, um, well, let's be real. Baby boomers probably aren't listening to this. It's a podcast. But um, What's that technology? <laughs> Um, you know, and, and go to your go to your liquor stores. I mean, um, th- that's also a great place to start. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people in in the retail industry that that sell craft beer that are as knowledgeable as anybody else in this business. Um, and they, you know, there are folks out there who run liquor stores who have supported our brand since the very beginning. And God knows we have been difficult to support sometimes because mm-hmm. we can't make enough beer for them to have it on the shelf all the time. And you know, it's definitely been a struggle for us as well. So we're really appreciative of their support. And, you know, we would, we would definitely ask people who are interested in our products to, to go to them. And if they don't have it on the shelf, ask them to pick it up for you and, and order it for you and, and buy it and take it home and share it with your closest friends, right? Like sharing a beer with somebody is as much about the beer as it is the experience of having a beer with somebody. It's, you know, I think the context of drinking beer is, is not necessarily about as much about as its effects, I mean, as it is about being able to sit down with somebody and, and relax and just enjoy it and get to know somebody over over something that somebody like me, somebody like us made with a lot of care, hoping that somebody would do that and have that moment. So, Awesome, man. I know that's a very romantic idea. <laughs> yeah. You're wooing me in. That's you. Sitting down and having a beer, but I mean... Yeah, all things considered, like that's that's how we got where we are. I mean, and that's how I met the guys who own this company is by sitting down and having a beer with them. Yeah. I mean, for for us and our, I know this is, if you're an IT, this the day doesn't begin and end with having a beer because that's crazy. But you know, for us, the beginning and end of all, you know, relationships in our industry are about sitting down and taking the time to to have a beer with somebody. So do that with your friends and drink our beer in the process and make me really happy hopefully make you happy too <laughs> yeah. well that's awesome man um well thanks for being on yeah and, for sure thank uh, you for coming yeah and i i just loved and am inspired by your story awesome truly um so thanks for giving us a be- behind the scenes look at dead armadillo brewery sorry i'm a little tongue-tied no that's okay <laughs> they don't know that we've had like eight beers in the course of this podcast yeah they, they can't know <laughs> Yeah, this this was really fun, so I'm really glad you guys came through. All right. For sure. Well, we'll see you later. Sounds good. Want to thank you guys again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. If you're ever out in the Tulsa area, go check out Dead Armadillo Brewery. Want to thank Dead Armadillo for being on. 
And go follow them and like them on Facebook and Instagram. Guys, thank you again for listening. Go subscribe to us on iTunes. Go check out what we're doing on Instagram and Facebook. Go like us and follow us. And keep it nice, easy, and low-key. Thanks, guys.